Welcome to the Advanced Tech Podcast. Joining me today is Pavel Vains from Bluezell. Welcome to the show, Pavel. Hey, thanks for letting me on. Absolutely. So if we could start out, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Yeah, I'd love to. So my background is really in digital media and technology, mainly around video games. Prior to Bluezell, I spent a long time in the video game space. So I worked for uh, Disney, did projects for Microsoft, Electronic Arts, Activision, pretty much all the big companies in the world just running game studios and delivering products around there. And then after I was done with that, myself and uh, a business partner, we started Story Panda, which is a digital media book publishing platform for kids' books on the iPad. That was where we were trying to discover new artists around the world and give them an easy means and mechanism to build digital books for a new audience. That was around 2014 when we closed it up and you know I stumbled onto Bitcoin, started reading about the blockchain, distributed computing, and then said, hey, you know, I really want to do something in real hardcore technology, something really bleeding edge. And like I said, the blockchain kind of fit that need. And at around the same time, I met my current co-founder and business partner, Neeraj Maraka. So he had just come back from Silicon Valley because he had exited a Bitcoin blockchain company called Zero Block and came back and he wanted to start something on his own. We got connected through mutual friends and we just started brainstorming ideas saying, hey, philosophically, we're aligned. We love the liberation of the blockchain, the new things it can do with technology. And uh, then we started Bluezell. Awesome. So what are some of the goals that Bluezell is hoping to achieve? So a bit of the history was that we spent time just cutting our teeth and doing a bunch of different type of projects on the blockchain, like bank-to-bank payments with different blockchain protocols, building certain things around hardware, how you can transfer digital assets easily from a cold wallet to an internet web application. Then we started thinking that, okay, the banks are really where it's going to go, enterprises. So after 2014, 2015, being in Canada and Vancouver, we decided that let's aim at enterprises. FinTech's a big thing. So Asia was a high growth area. And in January pretty much exactly two years ago to this Saturday, uh, we moved to Singapore and just the both of us and said, let's just set up shop there. It's a high fintech center. All the banks are there. So blockchain is going to work for enterprises. It's going to go there. And through all of 2016, we just started working on projects with the banks. So we did some stuff with HSBC, MUFG, which is a Japanese bank, OCBC, which is a Singaporean bank. We also work with some global insurers, AIA, MSIG. So while doing those enterprise projects through 2016 and early 2017, that's when we discovered that there was a missing component in our entire business model or in in the entire blockchain ecosystem. So if you look at the whole blockchain ecosystem, a lot of our company's goals and infrastructure companies are building a new internet, like a decentralized internet, which will allow for better security, you know, better scalability, it'll be faster and safer. So a lot of the blockchain companies the core goal is a decentralized internet. So what we saw was, if you take something like Ethereum, that's like Windows, the operating system, then you have projects being built on top of Ethereum would be like decentralized applications. So such as status is instant messaging. Then you have Gollum doing supercomputing for decentralized internet. So you can make that faster. So that's like those supercomputers in the current world. Then you've got things like storage or Filecoin, which is trying to be a decentralized file storage for the new internet. And that would take the place of like Amazon Web Services or Dropbox. The core thing that we noticed that was missing while we're doing these bank projects was no one's taking care of the database layer of this new internet. No one was building a decentralized database. And we found that was a missing piece. So basically how we're all used to Oracle in the traditional internet or software world, we said no one's playing that role of Oracle in the blockchain world. And that's when we decided that, hey, 
this is an area we know, we have expertise, and we can go down this path. So in May of 2017, that's when we started building that out as saying, let's build out a decentralized database service for everyone. Excellent. So I'm guessing this is your platform. If you could tell us a little bit more about your platform, what are its strengths and what service will it provide? Yeah, so the big thing, the problem that we saw was overall, we have a real um, serious data storage and management problem coming down in the next couple of years. So, I mean, yourself, how many applications do you think you're running on your phone right now? Probably quite a few. I'd say at least 100. Yeah, so 100. So every time, you know, you're interacting with that or communicating with somewhere, data is being exchanged between you and another application, between you and another user. And now I think the numbers are 2020, there'll be 24 billion connected devices in the world. And if they're saying that about 4 billion connected people, so that's six devices for every single person, which is astronomical. And imagine how many apps you have now and how many will be more in a couple of years and the amount of data that's being exchanged is growing at an exponential rate. So the current internet that we have or the services in a centralized manner aren't equipped to handle this. That's why you're having all these data breaches, data security leaks, on and on. So really that infrastructure in our current internet isn't ready to handle this. And that's why people are moving to a decentralized thing. So when you do a decentralized database service, so it's just like, I mean, think about it this way. So let's say you're on Instagram. You send a picture to somebody. Instagram has a store that data, that file somewhere, that picture, and, you know, might be on Amazon Web Services. Then the data behind it, you sending it to your friend, the location, all those things has to sit on a database somewhere. That's somewhere else. Our goal is saying, hey, those current centralized database services that are out there by IBM, Amazon, Microsoft, Oracle is an old way of doing it. Use our service and you'll have way better security. It will scale faster and reliability, the system won't go down. So let's just say right now, let's take a centralized system. Last year, remember when uh, Amazon Web Services went down for a bit and like 70% of the internet was down, people couldn't access Netflix, couldn't do anything because you had central points of failure. In a centralized system, think about is even if it's on the cloud, there's certain points there a cluster that's a central point of failure. So if somebody gets into one cloud, they can steal all your data. If there were like three or four cloud clusters that are holding the data, most likely the person got into the first one for minimal extra effort, they can get into the second or third. They can come in, steal the data, change it, or take the entire network down so the customer who needs to get his database can't get it because the system is down. Now, in a decentralized model, if you think about, this is where we're applying things of Bitcoin and the blockchain to it. Everything's connected, but it's decentralized. There's no central points of failure. So let's say one of the servers in our decentralized network goes down. It doesn't matter because the rest of the network is still alive and going. So there's no central points of failure to take the whole thing down. How it works is like, let's just say somehow somebody got into one of the the nodes on on our network that's storing some data. How our technology works, let's just say we take your data set, like your name, last name, everybody's that you have for um, your mail list or something. What we do is we take that up, break it into, let's say, thousands and thousands of pieces, like it's a puzzle, and just scatter them across all these nodes on our network, like these computer servers. So even if somebody got into one of those nodes, all they got was a piece of a puzzle, but they don't even know the picture. It means nothing. For them to actually steal all the data, they'd have to take over the entire network and put it together. And the cost of breaking into every single node, which is encrypted differently, is astronomically high that it's not worth it. That's why to this day, you still haven't seen Bitcoin be hacked. That's definitely one of the things about blockchain is that it uh, has some really interesting security implications. Um, So it's cool to see that you're pursuing that. Yeah, so that's, so basically what we're saying to people is like, where Bitcoin has all these miners and, you know, processing transactions, agreeing everything is true through consensus. 
we're applying that to data storage. So what that means is people join Bluezell and say, you know what, instead of mining for Bitcoin, I'm going to basically offer my computer here and it's going to store data for somebody else. The customer comes in, whether it could be, you know, it could be a blockchain project, it can even be Electronic Arts, who has a lot of customer game data. They go and say, okay, we're going to use the Bluezell network. All their data is spread around all the hundreds of thousands of computers on our network. And the person who's offering that storage space, basically, oh, instead of me mining Bitcoin, I offer some storage space. It costs less. I don't have to get a crazy computer to do it. They earned a Bluezell coin. EA on the other side, Electronic Arts, they're saying, oh, instead of us hosting it in the cloud somewhere and paying crazy months of money, costs us much less and we're going to pay with a Bluezell coin. So that's how it works in uh, the parallel. Instead of people mining for Bitcoin, what they're doing is they're earning a Bluezell coin for offering up their server space, storage space, so other people can store their data on a distributed network. Very cool. Yeah, and there's there's some thought that blockchain has been kind of layer zero, and we're, we're waiting for some of those killer apps. So one of the things that, uh, and goes to what you're saying, is people are waiting for that awesome use case of blockchain applications. We're an infrastructure play. Um, so what I count is that those are all the cars that need to be on there. And someone they want to build electrical cars. Some people want to do just high speed, fast cars, but the roads and the lights and the lines in between haven't been built yet or aren't up to speed to handle an electric car. So that's why you're seeing a lot of these projects like ourselves saying, Hey, we got to build out this infrastructure so we can handle all those applications that are going to do all those killer things later on. Yeah. I, uh, I think that's an excellent use case and uh, really excited that you guys are working on that. Oh, no, it's been uh, since we made that change, since we discovered this problem like seven months ago, it's been really exciting. Like I said, before, we we're just kind of doing different projects, project work, development work with different banks, enterprises. But it's really good to discover something organically, take what we've learned over those up to that point, two and a half years on the blockchain and say, hey, we can take all that stuff we learned and apply it to this new product. And what, why everybody's been interested in us is because we had that history. We didn't just come out of nowhere. It just came out organically and how we discovered it. And that's why people believe that we can execute. Very cool. And are you partnered with anyone or is Bluezell a standalone company? No, it's a standalone private company that my CTO and I founded two and a half, uh, three years ago. And we've just, uh, we got VC partners um, that we've got brought on board over the last two years. Cool. So I understand that you're CEO at Bluezell. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you face? Well, recently it was doing our ICO was the biggest challenge. I mean, that was a massive undertaking to execute and do because, uh, you know, you're building up the product. Um, so you got to take care of that. Then you've got the marketing of the product to the customer base, such as, uh, you know, developers getting them onboarded real quickly. Then you also have to do it to the crypto community. So they understand the technology. People in the crypto community have different levels of knowledge or education on technology. So you have to make it that you know, the hardcore guys can understand and even the new people coming in can be able to understand that. So that was a real big one. And then you've got all the security uh, scams, everything that attempted, people trying to break into your site to hack into it. So the last month was really heavy on just like anything you could think of had to cover. Uh, moving forward now is now that it's done and we've successfully done a crowd sale and got the funding we need to really build out this product. Now the main thing is going back to product development to make sure we deliver those on time and build out that developer community that will be there to support and use the product. So on that, uh, would you like to talk a little bit about your product roadmap and what you and your team have planned for 2018? Yeah, this is uh, really exciting. So we're looking at every four months, we're planning out to do a major release. 
So April would be, you know, the next version of the product, which will have some of the core technologies that we've applied into the system, such as a, a model that we're using called swarming. And that will be used for some of our first couple of customers to be uh, playing around, testing out and proving to the market what could be done. July we see as being the real beta, which is where we will unleash it everywhere um, and then have people also not only just use the product, but start offering up their storage services and earning uh, Blue Zell coins on it. So the next six months is really key around that. And then the other big thing further on is what I just touched on was just like our, our target market is really developers. And to get developers, you need to, you know, just kind of educate, build relationships. And it's really a lot is guerrilla marketing or just, you know, grassroots marketing. It's not a level of, hey, you've got some money. Let's take an ad out, you know, in some of the biggest publications, put it in an airport like companies like Alibaba and Amazon do and say, hey, come buy us. Uh, developers would look at that. Hey, who are these guys? Blue Zale? They came out of nowhere and now they're advertising here. We don't trust it. So you need to build it from ground up. So that's really that's the biggest thing that like while my CTO is really focusing on the technology and the product. One of the things I'm spearheading is let's get that developer community out there, do events, meetups speak at different conferences, hold our own hackathons, do them all globally in different countries and cities. So you get this grassroots build of like, hey, this product looks really cool. I want to try it out and then have that word spread. And so we have like a 12 to 18 month plan around of how to build it up really well before you start you know, doing more aggressive marketing. Cool. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good point. In the new decentralized economy, uh, it's not all about uh, just making money. It's about what it is that you're doing that's going to affect positive change in the world. And uh, I think being able to you know, talk with developers and really get them on board, um, on board your project based on what it is you're trying to do uh, is a, an interesting shift. And I'm really happy to see that that's starting to, to take place. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the exciting part about it is that everybody's like, we'll figure out the revenue and monetization somehow. But the core belief of any of the real projects or companies in this space is that what got everybody excited was the technology and what it can do. And it's also opened up where everybody just collaborates and shares knowledge. It's not guarding yourself. It's about openly talking to people and saying, hey, looks like you guys can solve a problem. I'd love to learn more or let's collaborate and do something together so we can show the product, like how an application can run on BlueZell, which is also connected to Ethereum. And then, then everybody else gets excited and then they can build more things. So everybody, all of the cool companies at this ground level are all working together just to show things so it can almost be a catalyst to bring more things on, which is probably a huge fundamental shift to how companies in the, you know, the current internet were doing it 20 years ago, right? It was all silos, guarded, no sharing of anything, where this is completely the opposite. Yes, we're all familiar with the walled gardens of uh, yesteryear. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see some change. Mm -hmm. Like even ours is, um, we're talking to some of our advisors and you know, we want to open source it. And we're like, oh, which parts should we do? And they said, open source it all put the whole protocol out there, let people work on it. If you build specific applications or things that are needed or on top of that protocol, then of course you can monetize that or charge for that. But at the protocol level that we're building, really just get the right license that everybody else can work on it. And you guys are just running the network. And there's so many interesting open source projects happening right now. And I think that's, again, a, a really healthy shift 
you know, why keep your code base behind lock and key when if you open it up, it opens you to so many, so many more advantages. You've got better security because you've got more eyes on the code. You've got better innovation because you've got more people thinking about things differently. And some of the problems that you might not be able to solve in a traditional organization are often solvable when you open source things. Because again, you've got many different ways of looking at things and thinking about things uh, and the new trends and patterns start to emerge. So it's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, and especially when you're doing, like us, we did a crowd sale and raised our funds. So if the crowd was there to support it, well, why not give the software back to the crowd and let them work on it with us, right? Exactly. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, since you've been around since 2014, have you found that you've needed to pivot yet? And if so, what did you learn and what were some of the outcomes? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that was huge. Like I said, first, what we started was, let's do do some blockchain stuff, but aim it at the, the crypto market. So really we got going end of 2014. So let's say 2015, we found that, oh, you know, the market was kind of much smaller than we thought. It was going down, people were kind of nervous. And then we said, well, enterprises are starting looking at it. They, they can all leverage from the blockchain. And then you heard all, heard all these banks looking at blockchain. We're gonna put investments into it, this and that. And that's when we moved to Singapore. Um, what we found though is Enterprises are enterprises. Even though they put all that thing out and you think that, oh, maybe they woke up, they'll move faster, they still move so slow. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we were doing these awesome projects for the banks and pitching these. And there's like, okay, it's taking time. Or we did it, then they'd shelve it and wait. And you're just this waiting game. And I came from video games where you get instant feedback from the customer, you react and you keep moving, you put product out. And so throughout that, even though, you know, we're super grateful because we discovered a lot of new technologies, got formed excellent business partnerships. By spring 2017, we realized that if we keep going down this path with the enterprises, it's going to be long lead times. We can't scale the business. It's going to be one project after another project. Now we're just a development company. So we needed internally for months, we're trying to figure out we need a product that we can scale. And even if we just sell it to developers, and even if you do it at a low cost or even free, at least you're using it, you're learning and you grow the business just like any typical software startup. So it was really critical for us. And then, like I said, while doing these bank projects, we realized that the database layer was missing and said, okay, we can apply that. But where now people would often ask us the last six months, hey, are you going to sell that to enterprises? We said, no way. <laughs> they're, they're having trouble getting onto the cloud. Well, oh, do you think they're really going to use a decentralized database? <laughs> like, right. Uh, and we yep. said, we just went down that path and I'm not making that mistake again. We're not a mistake, but we know how slow we'll be. They'll eventually come on. It's just going to be much later. So we said, no, we can scale this business and aim it at small to mid-sized developers. And even at that, aiming at blockchain developers who are building blockchain decentralized applications, give them the product they need so they can start building up better products. And then from there, you can go more general developers. And then after that, the third group would be the enterprises, which could be a couple of years out. So going back to your original question was, I, I don't know if it was a complete pivot. We were kind of building our tech anyways. It was more of an evolution, discovering that enterprises are good, but we're way too early for them. Let's aim, let's have a product that actually aims at people who can use it right now. Smart. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, like you say, working with enterprises can definitely be a challenge. And it is frustrating when you develop this really amazing tool set and technology for them, and they go ahead and shelve it, like you mentioned, that's, uh, that's got to be pretty disheartening. Yeah, like, you know, our development team, my CTO, all they want to see is the product be used. And even if you get paid for it and just sitting there, it's like, well, this isn't fun. So we'd rather go something that's aimed at developers. And yeah, it might take longer for those revenues or build up that audience. But our investors, our VCs, they understand that that's how you have to do it and you have to be patient. But as long as people are using it and giving you feedback, you can actually scale and grow the business. 
Exactly, exactly. And then so that you are ready for those enterprises when they um, finally are ready to take on the distributed economy. Well, I mean, uh, do you use Slack? Um, I do. Okay. I so do. if you look at Slack, I mean, we're all from Vancouver, and so we all know Slack. It originally, because I was in video games, a lot of my friends were in their small game companies. Say, hey, check out this tool, Slack. It's really good for communication. And that's how the word spread was to the game developers. Then general developers started getting on. And then once, you know, it hit that big market where you have all these thousands of people, enterprises started noticing, like, hey, check out this product that has only been kind of validated by thousands and thousands of customers. Uh, it doesn't matter. They weren't enterprises, just people are using it. And so that's how we, when we're talking to our, our VCs or when we were pitching for a crowd sale, we're starting about our target market is that you go for the small guys, grow, build up your audience, and that will pull the enterprises in as opposed to us having to keep pushing our way in. Yep. And that's the best way to have business uh, evolve is to have it come to you. Exactly. And that's why it's critical in these type of infrastructure plays or technology plays, if you aim at that, you need that funding to give you that runway to get to that point where it has that inflection point. Because if you don't have enough funding and you're aiming at the small developers and you want to build it over you know, time, 18, 24 months or 36 months, you might run out of money before you actually hit that inflection point because you're not generating those huge revenues right away. Right. So I'd like to switch gears. So you've been involved in the blockchain community for a while now. Uh, what would you say are some of the emerging trends and applications that you see in the blockchain community? Um, let's see. So the two things I look at is either things that are going into the infrastructure side of people building out this decentralized internet and seeing what's needed one year, two year, three years down the road and people working on that. The other one is the cool stuff I see is people trying to build products that solve the immediate need of cryptocurrency enthusiasts. So, you know, better wallets, exchange protocols that allow different tokens or the cryptocurrencies to exchange quickly and fast without having to go through an exchange, a centralized exchange all the time, security around that. Um, the one area that I think is still a couple years off is people focusing on direct consumer applications. Like, is a decentralized messaging system really needed yet? That doesn't fit the needs for the infrastructure and doesn't fit the needs of the current cryptocurrency people, what they need. So that's where I see going. The other one I see is we've been talking to a lot of people who have might not be enterprises and they're not startups, but they have a healthy business for 10, 15 years. Uh, let's just say even if it's in supply chain, uh, you know, they could be doing like 50 to $100 million in revenue. And, you know, the CEO is innovative and will go, wait, they end up reading some of these use cases that are out there and be like, wait, why do I apply that blockchain use case to my logistics company? Because I already have the customers. So I see that happening more in the next year is that those companies who have existing business and the hardest part is the customers saying, okay, I can go hire a company or I can implement that technology with somebody because the hardest thing for any startup to do is get that customers and their initial network. These other established companies have them. Right, exactly. Um, interesting. Mm -hmm. So what would you say would be some of the first apps that you'd like to see? So some of those customer facing apps in a couple of years, what would be some of the useful products to build? I think on the business side, the most relevant ones, like you say, is, is it's almost the same one that people have been talking about for the last couple of years, but really need to come forward is uh, I think logistics is a really good one because that could take away a lot of the fraud, especially in uh, developing countries where, you know, fraudulent goods are prevalent. So if you can track it all in the blockchain, have it, uh, you know, with IoT devices, then you've got those things coming back. Uh, the one I'd like to see is still, because I come from the gaming space, is digital rights management. So whether it could be, let's say you're playing, you're playing World of Warcraft, you create a new character or something and you sell it to me. I'm like, cool, I get that. Maybe I change certain things around and I sell it to the next person. 
if we have the right digital rights management on the blockchain there, it'll verify every single time it gets sold off of your work and making sure that you get paid all the way down because with tokens or cryptocurrencies, it'll be instant. And there's a blockchain trail showing everything there. I mean, same thing could be applied to music is that you make a hit song, I go remix it, sell that myself, somebody else takes that, distributes it. At least we have a chain of custody all the way through and a payment mechanism that doesn't require us to wait three months, you know, six months for royalty payments to calculate it and the companies get it wrong. With the blockchain, it's all audited saying and the payments are already built in and it comes right back to you instantaneously. Yeah, very cool. And again, the decentralized way of doing that is good because it gives control back to the artists. It's not uh, under one umbrella company that may be bought, maybe may disappear uh, and may decide to completely radically change their business model. I know that that's happened uh, for some companies out there and it's definitely destroyed or at least partially decimated uh, their customer base. And it's not so great to see and probably not so great to experience if you're using those. Yeah, I mean, let's look at Spotify right? It, it's an archaic way how they do the, the money distribution. So how it works is they basically say, okay, let's say $100 came in in this one month. And, or let's just, yeah, let's just keep it easy. $100 of revenue came in and they look at him like, okay, 60% of the songs were, I don't know, let's just say Justin Bieber. Okay. So $60 is going to go to him just because they put it all into a pool and then everything after that. But me as a user, let's just say I pay $10 a month and I didn't listen to a single Justin Bieber song. I actually went there to support some indie artists I know, let's say from Vancouver, Tegan and Sarah. And I just listened. It's like, I only listen to them. Well, why didn't that entire $10 just go to them? Why is it going to Justin right. Bieber? And how, how can you not track that, right? You know what I did. So let's say even if they applied, you know, the disputes or anything, they can be like, if we had a blockchain solution to it, then they can see that, hey, every time Pavel recorded, entered in there and did a transaction, it was recorded in the blockchain, it was Tegan and Sarah, Tegan and Sarah, Tegan and Sarah. Well, his $10 we collected, we know where that $10 should go. Exactly. Right? Why did six of that dollars go to Justin Bieber? And Tegan and Sarah overall might be only like half a percent. So all they got was half a cent of my money <laughs> when that was a person I supported the most. So it's a, it's, it's a broken system that Spotify has for, uh, for compensating the artists. Yeah, for sure. And there's a, I think there's a lot of systems out there. And I, I think for me, that's one of the... I guess one of the biggest use cases that blockchain and, and Bitcoin can resolve is, you know, it was kind of born out of a broken system. Like it goes back to the 2008, 2009 financial crisis, depending where you lived. I mean, it started in the US, but definitely had ripple effects around the world that were felt all the way to 2009. And it was really interesting to see how Bitcoin was born utilizing blockchain as a protocol. So yeah, I think the more, you know, there's a ton of there's always new ways to do things, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that I think need fixing, and there's some some really interesting applications for blockchain. So, yeah, I think um, I think you touched yeah. on it well. Whereas, like, it's about taking away control from these central places that can have lots of faults and manipulation into it, and it has nothing to do with finance. Like we were just talking about music, right? Or your own mm -hmm. data and security. Like, well, why don't you guys do it in a different way? If it's my data, why aren't you guys protecting it to the best that you can? And I think in the U.S. are actually looking at point. Uh, I think. They've already done it or passing a bill that goes, if executives of companies are shown to cover up something in a data breach, that's going to be jail time now. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, it's interesting because there's been a lot of, uh, if you look at kind of, 
I don't want to necessarily go down this route, but if you, if you look at some of the breaches in the business community, oftentimes, sure, things are frowned upon, but there's not really any severe penalty for not necessarily breaking the law, but for doing things in a, a way that shouldn't be done. So these things keep happening over and over again. And it really shouldn't be a surprise because until the until there are more serious penalties uh, and until there's accountability, really, people are going to keep getting away with what they can get away with. Oh, exactly. So... Anyway, that's that's one of the reasons I'm a big supporter of blockchain. Is it it essentially takes trust out of the equation, and it takes the the just you know just trust me, everything will be fine, and uh, it, instead it says just trust math and just trust data, and everything will be fine, which is pretty interesting. Exactly. Um, so you mentioned you're going to be speaking at upcoming conferences, and you've got hackathons and, and meetups that you're going to be putting on. Would you like to tell our listeners about some of those upcoming appearances? The, the one coming up next week or the week of what will be the 29th is uh, uh, NEO. Uh, so NEO is one of the, you know, they call it the Ethereum of China. And uh, they're doing their developer conference in San Francisco on the 30th and 31st. So I'll be speaking there on the main stage talking about uh, BlueZell solving the data storage problem, how it can integrate to uh, blockchain protocols like NEO, Ethereum, and other ones, and just, you know, talking about the use case and why it's needed. So that's the big one next week. And then um, uh, there's another one, I think, uh, Money 2020 Asia in March. And then I think end of February, there's another one in San Francisco, I think called Token Fest, uh, where it's going to talk about, you know, some of the uh, recent ICOs that were done and best practices that we employed in terms of safeguarding people and trying to trying to basically protect all the new people who come in from falling into fraud and scams, which is getting crazier out there because, as you may know, People are entering into this space without really educating themselves and knowing how to protect mm -hmm. their, you know, private keys, public keys, how to make sure you're not falling for a scam. And uh, people are just super exuberant to get in, but they're not doing that research and protecting themselves. People are losing money every day by sending it to the wrong place or just getting defrauded by somebody. Yeah, good point. Very good point. And with security, you know, when you're in control of your security, there are implications. It's not, you know, you're no longer trusting a, a trusted third party to take care of that. You're now in control. So it, you definitely need to put in the time to understand what that means. And things such as, you know, you don't uh, share your private key with anyone, things like that. Uh, those yeah. are very serious things. <laughs> well, yeah, so, I mean, for us, uh, well, we were doing our uh, token sale ICO, people were coming to us and saying, hey, I just sent money to you because you private messaged me about I can get a discount on your token sale. And they put it on our social channels. And people are saying, like, why would the CEO of the company who's in the middle of his own token sale, which is going very well, private message you to do a side deal? And it's like, look at the smart contract address that has like, so we put it on our blog, we put on all the things that every time, here's our official smart contract address. If you see anything out there, check it on our website, verify it against our, you know, a tweet we did, our, uh, our Vimeo channel where we created a video. So we had four different places that they can verify that same address, but people are still sending them to the mm -hmm. wrong one because they thought, oh, it says Bluezell without doing any extra right. thinking behind it. Uh, which is frightening. Yeah, that really is. And unfortunately, that's possibly going to be one of the arguments that the regulators will use, uh, hoping to bring back that centralized model. Uh, you know, again, it's the, the trust us. And it's kind of an unfair argument, because I think we've done that in the past. And while there has been some protection, uh, there's also been a whole lot of abuse of power. So... Uh, you know, here we are trying to create this thing. And there's there's always going to be people that are going to be looking to make a quick buck and looking to scam. But for the most part, um, I think the crypto community as a whole, one, I mean, trust is kind of 
a side consideration because again, you're trusting the math, but uh, hopefully we've we've grown a little bit beyond that and matured a little bit beyond that, that uh, we don't need that trusted third party. Well, it's, it's, this comes down to like, it has nothing to do with the math of the technology. This is just human negligence, which is most of internet security yes. is human negligence. So like I said, we put posts everywhere that we will never message you about sending money somewhere directly. We'll never do private message. We'll never email you saying, hey, send money here. Everything will be public. I'll go through our site. Uh, watch out for these scam attempts. Gave examples. People still didn't pay attention to it, right? And uh, <laughs> so we talked to a lot of the other companies that we're working with. And I was even on CNBC last week talking about it, saying all the top projects and companies, we all have to basically go out there and keep talking about best practices and doing it. Because our biggest fear is like what you just said. If we don't try to educate and get people on it and they start doing it, more people get hurt. We're giving reasons and ammunition for regulators to come in and do something, uh, which is totally counterproductive. That's all I guess we can do is just keep educating and abiding by best practices. And hopefully people start understanding that. Otherwise, it goes to what you said. Regulators are going to come in. Exactly. And maybe there's even a model where there's sort of a regulatory light model uh, where it's not so heavy handed uh, and it allow allows some best practices. But yeah, I think with the you know, you're now in control of your data. Um, it's <laughs> it's not your parents' internet. It's not your grandparents' internet. It's, you know, something new. And uh, yeah, it's definitely taking the, the training meals off, uh, I think is a good analogy. But I think maybe it's maybe it's time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll ask you that is, what is regulating regulation light mean in this space? Like if people can't protect themselves, like if you give them all the education and say, don't do this, don't do that, do your background checks, do this, 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 and they just don't do it. So how do you how do you do a light model of that? Or is it just like the government say, hey, everybody, grow up, you get scammed or something, that's your fault. Maybe that's the only way you learn. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, I know there's a, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that we're going to have to look at. I, I just think as, you know, as, as a community at large, and uh, it definitely has some interesting implications because with regulation, um, that is, Primarily, the first argument is, you know, how are we going to protect people? And it's not so much that, but it's you guys aren't able to protect yourselves. So don't worry, just trust us, we'll protect you. But again, that comes with a whole lot of uh, overhead and a whole lot of practices that haven't been the best quality, uh, which is, you know, when you're when you realize that you can no longer trust the organizations that you were taught to trust growing up, what do you do? And where do you start taking control? And how do you start taking control? So the blockchain community and the whole movement is its definitely a new movement. And we're definitely going to have some growing pains. But I think personally that it's time we, we do start taking control. And I think it just opens up so many, so many more interesting areas. And if we start you know, open sourcing more things and knocking down those walled gardens. Uh, there's just so many more cool things that we can do. Yeah, I mean, the, the majority understands this and doing it. And it's the new people coming in that, yeah, they will fall to frauds and scams. But if you overregulate it, I think what people are forgetting is that a lot of people entering the space are from developing countries and they're not going to buy a mutual fund. They can't, the bank won't even give them a the opportunity to buy a mutual fund, right? Uh, and, and they're going to get, what, 6% a year? That does nothing to their $500 that they have in there, right? It makes no difference on their life. And right. so some of them are like, you know what? If I have an extra $500, ICOs or token sales are doing well, I can support these projects. And this is a way for me to get much better returns. And I don't have to invest like a million dollars. If you overregulate that, now you've taken that wealth creation out of a mass amount of people, which goes, once again, what you said, it goes against our whole philosophy of doing this. 
uh, and that's where I differ with things like how, you know, Warren Buffett goes out there and says, uh, you know, you got to know this, you got to know that, uh, you got to go and buy and hold. Yeah, that, that works well for people who have made that money over the last 50 years as the stock markets kind of just grew into their own and they took little risk and it exponentially grow. How do you do that to that person who only has like $500? Well, exactly. And one of the other things it does as well is it allows them to, you know, it essentially banks the unbanked and it extends the economy so that people are able to transact, uh, which I, I think is one of the more interesting use cases. I mean, you look at probably two thirds of our population on our planet, they're definitely underserved yeah. or just not served at all, which is really sad because I think that as humanity, I, I would hope by now we can do a little better than that. Oh, completely. And I think that's where all these things uh where there's technology, the asset creation uh, breaks down all those barriers. Like what I've seen with the whole cryptocurrency and token sale, that's that's one of I think the bigger things that everybody wants to bank the unbanked and find how to get to them and get them bank accounts. Well, if you think about these crypto, these crowd sales is probably the first real application of it because they're like, I have a few hundred bucks, I can get it through an internet connection, get an Ether wallet, protect it, and I can do some diligence, find a cool project that I can back and get a return on it pretty quickly and then use that to do something else. That's much better than, you know, all these banks trying to get their logistics in order to serve these guys. Well, exactly, exactly. And you look at all the, the service fees and everything that are involved throughout the year. So it's nice to see the power being given back to, to people in general, which is great. Exactly. So I wanted to close out and ask, uh, do you have any questions or requests for our, our audience? And if so, how can they reach you? Um, yeah, I think the main one is if the audience is looking into um, uh, cryptocurrencies, token sales, ICOs, uh, my only request is before you dive in, just go do some, you know, purchasing an ICO 101 or blockchain 101, just to understand, uh, even if you don't fully understand the technology, just to understand the process of uh, what you said how to acquire your cryptocurrency wallet, how to protect your private keys, how to keep everything safe. I mean, there's so much documentation out there to guide people through it. So I think that's probably the biggest request. Um, after that, to learn more about Bluezell and what we're up to, uh, the best thing is to go to our website and just sign up to our newsletter. We try to put it out every week and I'll usually talk about product development and you know recent articles that we found or you know on this podcast, we'll put that on there so people can get more educated about the team the product and the technology. Awesome. Well, that sounds great. Uh, again, thanks, Pavel, for joining me. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you.
Thank you.